1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 7. And we'll begin looking at the descriptions of charity tonight in our challenge. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Tonight I'm thinking of a Peanuts cartoon, a little uh, comic strip really what it was and I'll tell you a little bit about it here. It's a picture of Lucy standing with her arms folded with a stern expression on her face and she's looking at Charlie Brown and she Charlie Brown Brown please she see Charlie Brown sees a stern expression on her face. Charlie Brown pleads, Lucy you must be more loving. This world really needs love. You have to let yourself love to make this world a better place. Lucy angrily whirls around and knocks Charlie Brown to the ground. And then she screams, look, blockhead, the world I love. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that easy to say? I love the world. I love people. I need to love people. I love the world. But it's... Well, you got to deal with particular people, right? And that's what we're talking about tonight. This deal right here, this, this whole issue of charity, they're, they're not descriptions about how to deal with your car. They're not descriptions about how to deal with your computer and how well you can do that and how to fix things. They're descriptions about how you deal with real people that stink and have bad breath and make you impatient and stuff like that and, um, or personalities you may not like. This, what, this, is what this, this is where this fits. So it's about the way, the way we navigate with individuals. Look at verse 31 of chapter 12. Paul says, Covet earnestly the best gifts, yet I show unto you a more excellent way. A more excellent way. This is a way to be. The way to be is charitable. And it's something we need to follow after. All right, so let's look here. What we've done in this, in this book in this chapter is the the first three verses are tell about the deficiency of charity um, you know in speech in spiritual gifts in sacrifice if you have a great speech you're bilingual multilingual and you can speak eloquently and yet you haven't you don't have charity uh, it doesn't it doesn't mount to much it's just you're annoying you're sounding brass and tinkling cymbal um, if we can if you had all these spiritual gifts prophecy understand all mysteries and great insight, and you have great faith, and yet you're not charitable, uh, it doesn't, doesn't profit anything for another person in particular. If you give your body to be burned, this is amazing, and you, and you put everything out there, and you're very generous, 
even with your body, and yet you don't have charity, he says it profiteth nothing. And so that was the deficiency of charity. Now we want to see the descriptions. And so we're going to look at these right here. I, I plan to look at these three, about su- or these five. Suffering long and in being kind. Number two, charity envies not. Number three, charity vaunteth not itself. Four, is not puffed up. Those are kind of similar. And number five, charity does not behave itself unseemly. So let's consider those tonight. And it's not just that we're looking at the descriptions of charity and say, hmm, that's nice. It's we're looking at, uh, we're looking at a goal that we want to have, a, a, um, something that we want it to be describing that would describe us. I want to be described as, as these things in my life, and I hope you do too. That's why we're spending time here. We're not just saying, hmm, this is very interesting, great insight. Yeah, I'll close my Bible and go my way and be the same way I was. I don't want to be like that. I want to behold this glory right here and let this glory of God's Word affect us. Um, Okay, so let's consider this. Number one, charity suffers long. That's the first description. And is kind. Notice that verse 4. Charity suffers long and is kind. Now, we've we've noticed, uh, I've tried to make this a distinction before. And by the way, some of the translations, newer translations actually kind of mess this up. Um, but I like the, the way this is translated is right. It suffers long and is kind. Um, some of the newer translation says charity is patient and is kind. But it, or it says, it'll say charity is patient, charity is kind, but it's a, it's a combined, it's a twofold quality. Again, it's hard to suffer long sometimes to bear with something Suffer long means you're bearing with something, you're bearing with a weight, you're bearing with a pressure. But the quality here is not that you can bear up to something. I've seen a lot of people, there's all kinds of people that have endurance out there, and they can bear with a lot of things. They can endure, they can endure uh, you know, irritations and pressures and all that, but you know what? You're going to pay the price in, uh, audibly from that, and they're going to be cranky and else they'll deal with it they'll get through their job they'll get through their responsibilities and they'll bear through it but man everybody around them's going to suffer for it they're not kind charity suffers long and is kind it's not just that charity is kind you know a lot of people know how to be kind for a little while right i mean jesus says the sinners love sinners and they pat each other on the back and give each other hugs but, it, but God-like love, is, it, it deal, deals with people for a long time and is still kind. Now that makes me think of how God's been to me. He suffered long with me, and He's still been kind. So, it means patient in enduring trouble or bearing offenses while still acting kindly. How many of us... Um, have, probably most of us, anybody have Bermuda grass growing somewhere at the house? Okay, all right, all right. Does anybody have Bermuda grass growing somewhere right now? It's not supposed to grow. All right, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Bermuda grass, man, it can, it can, I was thinking of it as an example. It exists under adverse, it can exist under adverse conditions, you know. Um, Maybe they'll find it on Mars. I mean, they're looking for life. They, there, we found something. It's Bermuda grass. It's on Mars. You know, here at the church, we have mostly Bermuda grass out here and then weeds. But sometimes, well, obviously it's yellow. It's dead. But what's ironic is during the wintertime, when, when it's a little bit warmer, uh, on the, uh, pardon me, it's not warmer, 
in the wintertime when the concrete and the asphalt's still a little warm. Oh, that Pramita loves that, and it, it'll stay there, and it'll grow there, you know. And I'm like, man, I just can't get rid of this stuff. It's still growing places. Uh, I remember one time at our shop, we had um, my dad and I shop. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, Dad. I remember on the corner of the shop, I mean, there's, you go to the shop, there's no dirt. It's like, it's like old uh, asphalt, there's some concrete, there's, there's sludge, there's, uh, you know, that we try to rinse out and get it out of that place, and there's dust, and there's stuff in the air, and there's, you know, and you're thinking, this is not a place where anything, any vegetation should be growing, and if it is, don't eat it, you know. Well, I remember one time at the top of the, uh, the edge of the, like the roof of the shop, I mean, and even that, I mean, we have like the, the, the galvanized paneling that was around it. I remember seeing at the top of that, just as the, the, the roof came down, the, top, the corner right there where it met the wall, I remember one time seeing Bermuda grass sticking out. I'm like, are you kidding me? That stuff grows everywhere. It just grows under these adverse conditions. It, it's sustained under adverse conditions. And I'm just saying that's, a, symptom, that's a, 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 a symbol, I think, of what we should be, where we can exist. We can still have that love under adverse conditions. I think that's what Paul's saying. Think about this. How many, let's think about this. If my computer's working fine, if my stomach is full, if I had my coffee today, I can be nice to you. There you go. <laughs> right? I got everything going well for me. You know? My car, I don't have any problems with my car. I'm good. I can be charitable to you. But if I can be, I'm having problems with my computer, I'm two hours past lunch, and I didn't have coffee today, you're going to suffer for it. <laughs> now, that's really not charity if my computer's working fine, I've had my lunch, my belly's full, I'm happy with the lunch, and I had my coffee, and I'm charitable to you. That's really not charity. That's cheap. That's cheap love. I'm just saying that based on this. It's saying it suffers long and is kind. Um, charity is much higher. It can exist under personally adverse conditions. There's a guy named Richard Wombrand. He is the, I believe he's died, but he was a, he was like a Lutheran missionary, uh, Christian missionary or pastor in Europe during World War II, and he was taken, and he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. How many of you ever heard of it, Tortured for Christ? Okay, and then he's, he was the one who started the magazine uh, Voice, of the Martyr, Voice of the Martyrs, and I like it. It's got some pretty good stuff in there. Um, but he has some of his prison stories uh, are just touching. And, he, it, and not of what he has done and what he saw other Christian prisoners, how they treated fellow prisoners. There was one guy, I, I'm trying to kind of pull the details right now on the spot. Uh, there was one Christian prisoner, and there was another guy who kept stealing like his... Uh, Stealing his, they get a little amount of sugar each day and milk, and the, another guy just kept stealing it. And then he'd take his glasses too. He kept stealing it, and uh, another uh, non Christian prisoner. And the Christian prisoner's like, man, I just, the guy keeps taking some of my sugar each day. And, you know, having a little bit of sugar is a nice thing if you're a prisoner, you know. And uh, kept taking his glasses for a certain amount of time of the day. And Richard Rumbrand reports how that Christian finally, um, one day, 
he's decided that he's going to, when he got the sugar, he, he, he's handing it to him before he asked, and he set the glasses down. And not as a fearful capitulation, because he wasn't intimidated by the guy, you know, from, from that standpoint, but he was just giving him, it's like when Jesus talked about this, and this, this is Sermon on the Mount type living here. And finally, that guy's like, why, why do you, why'd you do that? Why are you giving this to me? He goes, well, you don't have to steal. I'll just, I'll just, you know, let you use it. And, and then the guy, the long story short, is that softened that guy's heart. And that guy became a Christian. And so here's, here's a prisoner suffering long and is kind. And charity wins, wins the day there. Number two, here's another, here's another deal. Oh, this is a good one. Charity, notice verse 4. Envieth not. Envieth not. It's interesting the word for envy. It comes from a root word that means to be hot. To be hot. Um, but in particular, the way Webster's, there's kind of different ways you can come and define this thing. Webster defines this envy. Listen to how he defines envy. Listen to this. It means to repine or feel uneasiness about another person's prosperity or happiness. To repine or feel uneasiness about another person's prosperity or happiness. He goes on to say, it means to fret or grieve oneself at the, at the real or supposed superiority of another and to hate him on that account. That's envy. And um, um, Cain, was not Cain prompted by envy? He didn't really love his brother. The firstborn killed his brother, prompted by envy and hate. Think about um, uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was opposite, right? He came to tell people about Jesus and and it's when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. I mean, everybody's attention had been on John for a good while. And he points people to Jesus. And then you see, especially in the book of John, okay, the disciples start following Jesus now. Which, in my opinion, is a compliment to John. Got his job done. Isn't that what we want? Um, when they heard him, they followed Jesus, is the verse that says. And John... John, basically, they came to John and said, hey, you know, they're all following Jesus now. And he says, um, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Uh, ye yourselves know that I said I'm not, the, I'm not the, uh, the, the groom, I'm the bridegroom's friend. And, and he says, he must increase, I must decrease. You see, not a tinge of envy in John. What is that? John has charity for that whole situation. He loves this scenario that Jesus is getting the attention, he doesn't have to get all of it. You know, this sometimes this really can test us. When, now let me give you an example. Um, let me give you another example. Jonathan in the Old Testament. We talked about John the Baptist. Now, Jonathan. Jonathan was probably older than David. It looks like he was. They became friends. And David starts, now, Jonathan's the son of the king, King Saul. Jonathan, then there's David, this uh, hero now in Israel, starts getting a lot of attention for his fights and for his battles, I should say, beat Goliath, and then Saul puts him to work and is just 
amazing what he does on the battlefield. Jonathan loves him. Man, this is my kind of guy. But Jonathan just kind of take, steps the backs, and he, I think he knew he was anointed to be king, future king. And he gave him his, you know, part of his garment that signified royalty, and he just kind of gave David the stage, so to speak, and had no qualms about it. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's charity right there. It's not like, hey, David, we'll be buddies as long as I can still get the glory. That's not charity. That's cheap love. That's a love. It's just kind of a cheap kind of a love. Um, let me read to you a quote. Please listen to this. I, I, I'm realizing this is, a, this is a challenging thing right here, to not envy, but to be appreciative for other people's success and rejoice with them. That's a challenge, and it takes God working in my heart to be that way. Listen to what this one pastor said. He's very thorough. He talks about two tests of love, and it relates to envy. Listen to this. He says, how do you respond to the good fortune of others if they do better than you, if they prosper when you don't, if their family seems happy while yours is torn apart? How will you react? If they achieve what you cannot, if they gain what you lack, if they win where you lose, then the truth will come out. Can you lose graciously, gracefully? Can you walk away from the contest without bitterness? Listen to this. This is true love here. This is a passing the test. If you live long enough, you'll probably find someone who does what you do better than you can do it. You'll meet people with your talents and your gifts, only much more of them. You'll find people who surpass you in every way. What will you do then? This is one test of love. But then he says there's another, uh, he takes another observation. Listen to this. And if you live long enough, you are certain to encounter people who are less talented and less gifted than you are in every way, yet they seem to catch all the breaks and end up ahead of you in the great game of life. How will you respond when an inferior person passes you by? This is an even sterner test of love. Isn't that true? Listen, I sometimes watch people that have, and they've been, that maybe have not what the typical person has. They've been faithful, faithful, faithful in their life. And they see other people, maybe younger than them or more experienced than them, gain more, maybe gain by relationships or by material things or by success in a business. And I've seen them be tested on, am I going to rejoice with this other person who's maybe being uh, promoted or they got married before me or they're having kids before me and they're tested. And the, the test is, am I going to rejoice with them? And when they rejoice with them, that shows true charity. I heard Miss Jerry say amen when, she, when Adam said that about Sonia. That's charity. She's got her own battle. That's good. Do we want her to get better? Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, but I remember watching, you know, um, Bethany for a long time, Bethany Roy, go to a lot of weddings. And she, I know she probably battled it, but she rejoiced, I think, ultimately with those. And Miss Sarah does the same thing at this moment. And so it takes charity to rejoice with somebody maybe who's on a different path than you or, or a little ahead than you than the average person. But that's, that is true love when you can do that. That's true love. 
Charity envieth not. Um, sometimes, again, we get that way about somebody who's younger than us, less experienced than us, and then they advance. I've seen pastors get this way where, you know, a pastor takes a church and then he's pastoring for 20 years and another guy comes and on the other side of town, he starts a church, same philosophy, same, he's not a liberal and, you know, sticking his finger in the wind, just trying to do whatever the trends are. He, and he he's, begins a church also and God blesses it. And, it, and numerically, it, it grows more uh, than the current, the veteran pastor that's been around for 20 years. And I've seen pastors, their love tested for that, for that scenario. Are they going to rejoice with him or are they going to be envious? Charity is going to say, hey, man, I'm happy for you. I still, I'm in rented facilities after 20 years and I got a church of 60 or whatever, less. And you've been there for five years. You already got five acres of land and you got... $500,000 in the bank, and it looks like you're going to be building a church there, and you're in a new suburb area, suburban area. I've seen that happen, and it's a test on the pastor if he's going to be charitable or not. And you can imagine that applying in other ways. This is, this is I mean, look at the short statements. Man, that challenges me right there. I need that if I'm going to have true love. Charity envieth not. And then let's go to these. These next two are similar, three and four. Notice this. Charity vaunteth not itself. That means it does not boast or brag. Make a vain display of one's attainments. Doesn't boast or brag. Just, I'm going to be conceited. Number four, it's similar, is not puffed up. Not inflated with pride. Not in, puffed up. Hmm. Puffed up sounds kind of cheap, even right there, just saying puff, you know. Charity is not a person who's puffed up. Um, you know, are you, when somebody else corrects you, and even, whether they're right or they're wrong, do you start to puff up about it? Kind of, okay, I'm listening. Yeah. Do we puff up about it? You're like, Pastor, you're pretty good at imitating that. I know, it's one of my problems. <laughs> well, I got to kill this thing. But listening to somebody's rebuke, um, and not just puffing up and, and trying to be so defensive. Number, num that was number four. Number five was, consider this. This is interesting. Um, listen to this. It says, doth not behave itself unseemly. Um, I love that. That's exactly what it means. Does not behave itself unseemly. We can paraphrase it a little bit and it means it's not rude. You know, I've always wondered where in the world is the word rude in the Bible? It's not. But this is the closest thing. Doth not behave itself unseemly. That's our fifth description. Unseemly is a couple of things. It means not acting uh, unbecoming improper or rude the opposite is that is it behaves in good taste towards somebody not rude not unbecoming in other words how has anybody ever said we're rude like you're rude anybody ever call you i've been called rude that was kind of like the word i don't know what it was when you were when we were kids if we didn't like somebody we just said they're rude we probably used that too much um listen i'm trying to give us descriptions of this 
It means somebody who cares not, think about this, think about this. It's somebody who cares nothing about your feelings or your sensibilities. Now, I know that we're going to eventually step on people's toes and stuff, but you know what? There's no need to unnecessarily just trample over people and say, I don't really care what you think, and, and I don't care that, uh, you know, um, you, you have, uh, you know, you're, you're emotionally fragile right now because some event happened in your life, and, and just to trip, that's not charitable. That's being unseemly. I remember, sadly, I saw this in Bible college with a couple of guys. Um, uh, I, I remember there was a couple of guys there was in, in a class at the college I went to. There was more guys than that, but particular guys that I'm thinking of. And I remember one guy, um, there was a guy, the one guy, he's actually a little older than the other guy that I'm going to tell you about. He was saying something in class, and he'd asked some questions. He, he was known to kind of ask a lot of questions. And, um, and the teacher would answer him most of the time. And another guy finally said something right out loud in a comment about this other guy who kept asking the questions. And it was just, it was just, um, it, was, it was rude. It was unkind. It just putting him down really bad. He made this comment. Uh, right, out, right out loud to the other guy who kept asking questions. And then I remember walking, I remember um, being outside, and the one guy, he was actually older, uh, he, he, he came walking out, and he goes, man, he said, um, he, goes, he, he goes, man, so-and-so knows how to make a person feel like a piece of trash. And I remember when he said that, I'm like, man, he was... It was like you, you were, you're kind of blindsided by a Christian brother that's just going to say something like that. And it hurt him, you know. It hurt him. And I thought, that's, that's being unseemly. That's being unseemly. And by the way, I, I, I found a apologist. That's why I'm not naming names. You probably wouldn't know him anyways. I remember thinking, kind of watching, the one guy that did that, he's had, I remember he had a few struggles in his marriage. Um. Not behave, we're considering this thought, not behaving ourselves unseemly, unseemly. Basically, have you ever seen the shirt? How many of you have seen, we really got some sarcastic shirts nowadays, even for little kids. I need to get one for Grant right there saying my dad puts me to sleep. But. <laughs> you see all these, um, there's these cute little shirts for babies, you know, they'll say, I don't know, you know, feed me or something, but. Um, but now you get these really sarcastic and cocky shirts and proud shirts from some of these guys. But one of them, it has like a square. It says, in memory of when I cared. Yeah, it really did look like this. <laughs> in memory of when, oh, the guy actually that was wearing the shirt looked like this. Just that, I mean, he looked as, <laughs> never mind. Uh, in memory of when I cared. And I remember seeing that shirt and I'm thinking, Man, he does care. He cares about himself. And, you know, that's why we can't have that I don't care attitude, you know. I don't care. I don't care. Um, that would be unseemly. Did you know that the, when it, think about this, I, I, I kind of been, I, I try to, when I'm looking at, here's the thing. On 1 Corinthians 13, it always takes me to 
family issues, marriage issues, counseling issues, because I'm realizing this is, the, this is the panacea. I shouldn't say that. Christ is the ultimate panacea. This is, which he is love, but this is definitely medicine for a lot of relationships. And so as I'm studying this, I'm studying, I'm trying to study examples of uh, counseling scenarios, of people that have uh, conflicts in their friendships and marriage, and I'm coming up with these different examples. And I remember reading one husband who went to a counselor, and he said, um, he said, I don't understand my wife, please help me. He said, when she has her moods or anger, somehow I'm to blame for it. I'm confused. The counselor said, sometimes in order to avoid dealing with our own flaws that we subconsciously know are there, we transfer ownership to, of them to someone else. We protect them. And by doing this, is a counselor, he's kind of giving great insight to this dense guy here. By doing this, we try to convince ourselves and them that it's someone else's fault, that it's their fault we're angry, their fault we're bitter, and their fault we're impatient. In other words, the person that's doing that really knows deep and deep it's their problem, but they want to transfer the blame and make it sound like the person around them is the problem for the anger, the bitterness, the impatience. And it's basically what he's saying. It is behaving yourself unseemly. But then he told the husband, all you can do is try to reason calmly with her, he said, and just maintain a terrible spirit whether she changes or not. You know, sometimes, isn't it weird how our sin nature is? We're really deceitful. We're really, I was studying this, the idea, and I even started studying, what does projection mean in transfer? It's kind of a psychological thing, but it really traces back to a common sin that we do. It's unseemly. You know what sometimes I realize some people do? Like uh, some people, you, you dislike this person. You dislike person A, and you know what's wrong. Deep inside, you know what's wrong. But instead of admitting it, you tell yourself or other people around you that person A is actually the one who dislikes you. And it's a subtle turning of the tables. It's deceitful. It's unseemly. It's strange. Um, one man said, Many a man will set himself up as a distinguished and even model Christian, yet has a bitter tongue and sarcastic way of speaking about other people. That's unseemly. So, you know, let's just stop right there. Let's just stop right there tonight. And I'm going to give one more example before we close. And think about this. Do I suffer long and am kind? Verse 4. Do I envy? Do I vaunt myself? Am I puffed up? Do I behave myself unseemly? If I am, then I, I'm not, I, need to, I, need to, I need to, I need to step up to the charity challenge. And suffer long and be kind. And not envy. Put that away. Not be so, um, just kill that thing. And not vaunt myself or behave myself unseemly. I, I want to read this to you as we close. This was interesting. One of Abraham Lincoln's most outspoken critics, political enemies, was named Edwin J. Stanton. This is back, of course, in the 1800s. Stanton was a critic, of course. He said some really mean things about Abraham Lincoln. He, he called him a low, cunning clown. And he called him the original gorilla. 
that kind of sounds really nice compared to nowadays, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, wow. But it was pretty harsh back then. But even though he said this, he, said, he even said this, I'm sorry. Stanton said this about Lincoln. It is ridiculous for people to go to Africa to see a gorilla when they could find one easily in Springfield, Illinois. To Lincoln's credit, he never responded to these insults. Yet, when he was elected president, he chose Stanton to be his secretary, what was called back then the Secretary of War, which I think is the same as Secretary of Defense today. He chose that guy. It surprised him. Even that guy was surprised. When, asked, when Lincoln was asked, why did you choose Stanton? Lincoln said, because he's the best man for the job. On Lincoln had been assassinated, of course. And when he was assassinated, listen to this, that guy who previously was his political enemy and railed on him, that guy stood by the coffin of Lincoln and said this through tears. This is what he said at his death. Here lies, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Now, that's this guy's opinion of, of Lincoln. But do you see why he's saying it? I mean, because he, he was personally affected by that charitable spirit of Abraham Lincoln. That's a charitable spirit. I don't think he's just being pragmatic. I think there's some charity there in, in that president. And we've got to say, do I have that? If I don't, I want it. If I do, keep it going. I, I sense a lot of charity in this church. I'm thankful for it. I mean, we even have him born around here. I mean, come on. <laughs> but let's keep it going, too. Let's pray and thank the Lord for our time.